Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. How's everyone doing? Good. Wasn't that awesome time in the presence of God? I'm so grateful um, for our worship team. Those songs are amazing. And believe it or not, half of everything they sing about... (laughs) And just about everything they sing about, because you can't really have half of everything, everything they sing about. Um, actually goes into our message today, <laughs> so I'm really excited. New wine, um, just being called to repair. She read from Isaiah 58. We're going to touch on verse 12 again. Um, I'm just super excited, so we're going to dive in. Uh, that was a beautiful prayer from Hannah, so we don't have to redo it. Um, as you're sitting there, though, go ahead and pray for me. <laughs> pray for you. Um, ask the Lord. Just uh, The favorite thing I like to do is just say, God, what are you saying to me from this message during this time? And so could be something that was in the worship song, and he's just going to reiterate that in your heart. And uh, it could be something that I say right now as we dive into his word. We're going to fly over two huge stories in the Bible, or two key stories in the Bible, however you want to classify them. Um, So yes, it's going to be a lot. I'm going to do my best to bullet point for you. (laughs) Um, But I am going to give you homework. So go ahead and dread it now. Like every student attending any type of class, you're going to have homework this week. And that is going to be to actually read the stories that I'm going to fly over today. I want you to read them in their entirety, look at them, dive into them, and then see what else God will reveal to you from those, from those passages. Sound good? So it's not really hard homework necessarily, but I do really sincerely want you to do it. Um, there's not a grade, though. You're not going to pass or fail. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking about the subject called to repair. We are kind of finishing, closing, ending, starting, I don't know how you want to put it, a new series Um, We've been doing Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Um, Our last topic was going to be history. You're going to get a little bit of that woven into this, but not as detailed as we would have been. When Chuck asked me to speak, one of the things he was saying to me was, he's like, this is your opportunity for the church to kind of get to know you a little bit and get to see your heart and get to know why you're passionate about kids or why you do what you do. And so um, initially I was like, God, I don't know how that's going to work. Like that's more of a conversation over coffee or sitting outside in the sun or something like that where people can ask questions and talk back. But the Lord is gracious and he is good. And so he gave me two stories. And hopefully what he wants to say to you has actually been the marker of my life um, from growing up. So I grew up in church. I actually received Christ at a very early age. Um, I was like under five the first time at 12 when I actually vividly remember saying the prayer of salvation and being like, um, no, I don't want to live my life without Jesus. Um, I continue to grow up as everyone does. Life happens, things happen. You learn more, you experience more. And so I tell people all the time that I rededicated my life again or I reconfirmed my commitment to the Lord when I was about 17, 18 years old. I did it again when I was about 21 years old. Um, I did it again a few years ago. I say that to say this. I constantly have encounters with God that question or challenge my heart where I come back to this statement. God, I believe you are who you say you are. I'm willing to follow wherever you lead me. And so it's, it's kind of this yes, and it's the unconditional yes. It's not, well, God, yes, as long as I can. Um, yes, as long as I got my degree. Yes, as long as I get married. Yes, as long as I can have kids. It doesn't really work like that. It's God, yes, even when it hurts. Yes, even when I don't understand. Yes, even when it's going to cost me some things. Yes, when I honestly have no clue how it's going to happen. So yes, when it's good, and yes, when it's bad. Yes, when it's, I'm up. Yes, when I'm down, regardless of the case, I'm giving you my yes. 
And so whether people know that publicly or not, that has been something seriously that has driven my life. A lot of those yeses did not happen in a corporate setting. A few of them did. But many of those yeses happened in my bed, in the shower, through tears, <laughs> through happiness. Um, when I was alone or feeling anxious, that's when the yes occurred. And so that made it a little easier in some settings when I felt the Lord prompting me to find myself at an altar, to find myself at a women's retreat, to find myself in various corporate settings to then say, yes, God, I surrender. We've been talking about that privately, and I'm going to say it again today. And so um, I think even me standing here today is another sign of my unconditional yes to the Lord. Because believe it or not, a couple years ago, I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I don't want to work at a church. I will attend church. I will serve. I will volunteer. Don't put me on staff. Don't put me in leadership role. I'm okay. Well, that came out of an uh, experience that left me pretty hurt, um, and I had to heal. But I literally told the Lord, I said, I'm good. Never again. <laughs> I said, been there, done that. We're cool. I love your people. I love your church. I know it's your idea, so I'm not going to talk bad about it, but you don't have to put me in front of people. So it is amazing. And when I say, like, it is a blessing and a testament to the Lord that I have been here as the children pastor for an entire year it is literally nobody but him I was working another job was not thinking about working at a church had no idea of who FCC was I had been here one time for a baby shower that was it <laughs> so you see like and this is the this is the plan in the heart of God God knew so I get a call or a text from someone actually from Jerome you all know him um, we work together in another setting and he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to send you a job description. Will you look at it? I was in the middle of licensing for my other job. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know what this is about, but I'll look at it. No problem. I'll, and we can discuss it. Those were my words. I tend to be careful with my words the older I get. Two days later, I get, oh, by the way, can you send me your resume? And are you available for an interview on Monday or Tuesday? <laughs> this was a Wednesday. The initial request was like that Monday. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I was really about to be like, have you lost your mind? Like, I literally saw the text and put the phone down. <laughs> and then I talked to a friend of mine in Texas. We were going back and forth, and she said one thing to me, that a few things, but one thing really that made me have some peace and say, okay, I'll entertain this. And she's like, well, you know God is going to transition you anyway, because I had that feeling. I had known that. Um, but one of the things she said, she's like, just because you go to the interview doesn't mean you have to take the job. And that little truth... <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, why am I tripping? Like, I could say no. <laughs> and so in that, um, what ended up happening um, is I said, okay, and I said, you know what, I know this, but I haven't really begun to prepare toward this move. I said, so if it does nothing else, it will require me to update my resume. <laughs> and so I went ahead and did it. I honestly couldn't even find my old resume. Like, since the last time I had to submit one, I had, my computer had crashed. I hadn't replaced it. I, had, I thought I had it saved, and I couldn't find it. So I ended up having to recreate it, which was fine. A lot had changed. And so uh, the crazy part about all of it is I end up doing it, I submit it, and then I go to the first interview. I actually said in the interview, I said, you know, you guys seem like really nice people, and whoever you choose to hire, like I said, I'm praying for you all, whoever you choose to hire, I know will be perfect for this job. And I said, no, honestly, I know Jerome, and if there is any way that I can assist or I can help, I would be glad to, whether you hire me or not. Like, that was really my attitude. Now, one who says that in an interview, like, hey, you know, I'm cool. Like, you can pick somebody else. It doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. Um, then I get an email and a call talking about, oh, yeah, we'd like you back for a second interview. Literally, 
not out loud to them, but to the Lord. I said, who are these people and what do they want with me? (laughs) And lo and behold, I did a second interview and I come back and the next thing I know, they're like, they're offering me the position. And in between that time, this is how God works. I literally had the first interview and I started having dreams and visions and I kept seeing kids in classrooms and I'm like, God, what are you doing? (laughs) And then I did a second interview and I'm like, well, this could be cooler. This would be nicer. This is, and I'm just like, God, but I don't work there. (laughs) And I'm like, literally, and I even prayed. I'm like, God, whoever you bring in, like, these are good things. (laughs) Show me how I can help, how I can serve. Lo and behold, I was praying for myself the whole time. Because they brought me in. And so part of that is what I feel is that I'm called, not necessarily to repair in every aspect, but I've known this from a long time, for a long time, that I'm called to the church. I'm called to help serve the local body. And so in the in biblical times, in the, in the, throughout the Bible, you had the apostles who served the people, who encouraged those who were ministering, whether it was a house church, a group of people, officials. Um, you had those who took care of and tended to the house of the Lord, the temple of God, the tabernacle. So you had what the Bible would refer to as the priest or the tribe of Levi, and that was their assignment. They didn't get to build a house. They didn't really own anything. Like Their things were to tend to the things of God. Now you had the other tribes. There was 12 of them, technically 13, because one of the tribes was split in two. Um, that's a lesson for a whole other day. But go back and read the Old Testament, book of Exodus. You'll kind of figure it all out um, in the end of Genesis. But what we understand in this is that each tribe had different things. So you have the tribe of Judah, which we constantly refer to in the church, but they were the praisers, the worshipers, the musicians, the minstrels. Like, that's what they did. (laughs) They went out in front. You had other tribes, though, that were known for battling and for being warriors, and they had their position. They played their part. They played their role. And so I say that to say, I've known for me from an early age that I would identify or could say my assignments tend to line up with those of the tribe of Levi. The things that break my heart, the things that um, I'm like, God, why? It's usually the stuff within the church that I'm like, Lord, like, this is awesome. We're doing this well, but we need to bring this to where you want it to be. And that has been my life, my call, my service. Like, it's where I find myself. It's where even when I try to run, the Lord brings me back and says, but this is where I've put you. So we're going to look at a couple scriptures today. Um, And Lord is great, because that wasn't even on my notes. So we're going to dive into what I actually believe God wants to say. Um, But hopefully through this, you guys will get a little bit of understanding. And with that bit of background, you will also understand where I'm coming from and why you're going to hear me say over and over again, it is our responsibility, our job as Jesus followers, as children of God. We want to encounter him. We want to respond to him. And then we want to get to work. And what I've noticed so far in the church, especially the American churches, we are really good at encountering God. We'll come to service. (laughs) And we'll, listen, our hearts get stirred. We might cry. We might come to the altar. We might pray with somebody. And that's really cool. But then we lose people at the work. (laughs) They're like, God, thank you so much. I feel better. And they go home. (laughs) And we go back to our lives as usual and we forget that there is something that God wanted us to do, or that we leave the altar, we leave his presence, or we end the encounter before God has finished giving his instruction. And so we're going to look at two people in scripture, but first off, I want you to look at this. So we're going to go back up to slide number one. I was giving like a preview, sorry, so you guys kind of saw where we're going at the end, but that's what we're doing. Um, There's some images I'm going to show you, and clearly, what is wrong with this cup? 
the handle is broken. And so oftentimes we can be alluded or see like we are alerted to things that are broken. Like it's the anomaly, it doesn't really sit well. We're driving down the street and we can see all these pretty houses, we could be admiring them, but get to one where like there's a house missing. And that's where our mind goes. If you're looking, if this cup was on a shelf with other cups, all the other cups could be perfectly fine, but we would be drawn to that one because it's broken. And so it's interesting that some of us have all kinds of responses to broken things, right? So me, I'm this person. If I were to say that, I'd be like, throw it away. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> Somebody else would be like, let me fix that. They, they might duct tape it. They'd be like, well, it still works. <laughs> Some people be like, mm, it's not that bad. Throw the handle away and they'd be holding their coffee like this. <laughs> but we would respond to it. Let's go to the next picture. Let's see what we would do in this one. So what's wrong here? It looks like it's a bridge of some sort or an archway of some sort, but there's a chunk missing. <laughs> and this... I would say we would probably, like me, I'm just be honest, I'd be like, uh, I don't know who did that. Clearly they didn't finish their degree in engineering, so we're gonna avoid the bridge. We're gonna avoid, like, we're, I'm not trusting that. And this is all based off sight. These are just based off judgments, right? I'm looking at it. I didn't say I'd ask questions. I didn't be like, hey, is there a purpose for that hole? Like, I didn't say I'd examine it. I'd just be like, mm-mm, like, you ain't getting me up. Don't, don't put me near that. And if the center part is missing, then maybe the whole thing's unsafe. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to just go the safe route. I'll take the long way. I'll find the boat. We're going to do something else. But I'm not doing that. <laughs> and some of you are right there with me. You probably saw that picture and was like, but why? Some of you, in your mind, you've already figured out, like, but all they had to do was finish this crossbeam and add this support, and it would have been complete. Your mind is already trying to fix it. And some of us would be like, oh, I don't know, and I'm just going to avert my attention elsewhere <laughs> because I cannot reconcile, I cannot figure out how to go about fixing it. And I'd like you to know that we are like that because being made in the image and likeness of our Father, we have a heart, we have an inner thing in our spirit to repair things. See, we often put this all on men, and we're like, men are just fixers, they just want to fix it, <laughs> they don't want to know all the deal. like, what's wrong, how can I fix it? But the reality is, is innate inside each and every one of us, there is a desire that when we see something off, that we're like, and we fixate on it, and we process it until we can go like, how can I fix it? And when we can't fix it, we then end up doing, we discard it, we throw it away, we avoid it, or we do whatever we can to try to get our attention elsewhere. Well, I want to talk to you about two people in the Bible um, and why does that make sense? Why do these objects matter? Because spiritually, we do the same thing. We encounter churches, we have experiences, and we might go like, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, I went to talk to the children's pastor, and she was just really rude to me. <laughs> and we might go like, well, how can I, can I fix that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't really know her. I'm just going to avoid her. That's my, that's my thing. I'm just, I'm just going to avoid her. <laughs> or I'm going to, maybe I'm going to try to talk to her. And I'm going to ask her, I'm going to see, like, are you having a good day? Are you okay? You, you, we all engage differently when we find something that's off. And so we're going to look at two people, and these are some of my favorite people. But the first one um, is King Josiah. And so it's part of the reason it answers a little bit of why 
I am passionate about children. So we're, I'm going to do the flyover and you're going to do your homework. You're actually going to read. So 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. Yes, the whole chapter. Um, these are where we find a little bit of what the Bible tells us about King Josiah. So King Josiah was eight years old when he assumed the throne. Anybody know an eight-year-old? Roughly third grade in our education system in America? That's how old Josiah was when he was crowned king over Judah. Now, Israel at the time is in this place where uh, you know that under David, that Judah and Israel, they were united as one kingdom. David reigned over both. Now at this point, Israel has been into, led into captivity and Judah is still free. But Judah's having trouble. <laughs> the nation of Judah, not the person Judah, but the nation of Judah is having trouble. The nation of Judah is also where the city of Jerusalem was, was positioned. And that is the city of God. It's the one that God said, I'm going to put my name here. That's where the temple was that Solomon built. So Josiah is king. So it's kind of like we have an eight-year-old for a president in America. That's what it's equivalent to. Josiah is crowned king at eight years old. 18 years into his reign at age 26, what we find recorded here is that Josiah is having some business with the temple and he's telling one of his servants, he said, hey, go over here, instruct the high priest to um, take care of this money that was collected. You're going to give it to the workers, the builders, so they're doing some repairs, maybe some expansion, maybe a renovation, but they're fixing some stuff. And he says, you're going to tell the high priest these instructions, issue out this money, uh, don't worry about collecting receipts back because they're really honorable people, they're going to do what they say, but this is what I want them to do. So the servant goes over to the high priest, he makes the journey, he gives the instruction, but while there, the high priest says, Hey, um, as we're doing stuff around the temple, I need to make you aware that we found the book of the law. Equivalent today, it would be like you're out doing something, renovations on your house, you might knock down a wall, and you find like a will. <laughs> or you find the Bible. So what they were referring to as the book of the law, what we would call like our Old Testament, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that's what they found. And so the high priest is like, hey, I found this, and so he, says, so he gives it to the servant, um, he says, let the king know that this was found. And then the servant goes ahead and actually reads the book of the law. He goes back to King Josiah and he presents it to him and he says, hey, I found, they, this is what the high priest said, they found the book of the law, and then he reads it to the king. Now this is what gets interesting is because Josiah then responds in a way that to us would be like, well, isn't that what you do? They, it was God's place. It was his people. Um, they knew him. Well, let me back up. If we go back to 2 Kings chapters 21, we actually find out that Josiah's father Josiah, and Josiah's grandfather, who reigned over the nation of Judah, were evil in the sight of the Lord. Between the two of them, there was 57 years during their reign where they literally did everything under the sun that was against God. If God said, don't do it, they were doing it. The temple that was being worked on at this time housed idols to other gods, had all kinds of other things, sacrifices, prostitution. I'm not making that up. It's literally what your Bible says in chapter 23 after Josiah's response. So Josiah assumes the throne at age eight, and I want you to understand, for him, all he had seen was his father and his grandfather doing things, and what he knows is that we just do whatever. Yeah, we have a high priest, and we have witches, and we have mediums, and we have spiritual, like, we have all of it, and we just do what we want to do. Sound like anywhere we might live today? 
Because this is what Judah had become. The last positive king that had reigned over the, of the nation of Judah was Hezekiah. And that was his great-grandfather. And so, but Josiah, so we're going to get back into the story. We're back in chapters 22. Uh, Josiah then hears the book of the law, and he begins to go, he rips, the Bible says he tears his clothes, and he begins to lament or cry out to the Lord. And in Josiah's case, what it really looks like, he tears his clothes because he gets an understanding, like, like Lord, I'm far away from you. Like, I don't know what we're doing, but we have literally done everything you've told us not to. And then he, he sends the same servant. He gets the high priest, a couple other people. He's like, go inquire of the Lord for me. Because we're in a position that God is mad at us. So Josiah, who had no physical example in his home of what it really was to honor God, has an encounter with his word and makes a decision that says, I don't know what we're doing, but I'm telling you it's not right, and I need to know from God what we're supposed to do. So the rest of those chapters, Josiah, actually, they go and inquire of the Lord. The Lord actually sends a word back. They find a prophet. She, yes, she, gives a word and says, this is what the Lord is saying to the one who is inquiring of me. Go back and tell him this is what the Lord says. The Lord then says, yo, yes, you are right. I am upset with the nation of Judah. Yes, Judah is going into captivity. He said, but I have seen your heart. I have seen your response. And he says this, you will reign in peace. Josiah then gets the word back from the Lord. He comes, he calls the elders, he calls the people of Judah together, and they repent. They renew the covenant with the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and then Josiah goes to work. Chapter 23 lists every place that Josiah went tearing down the altars of Baal, he, he decimates the altars where they were sacrificing children. He decimates the altars. And like he cleans out the temple, the stuff that's erected. So like the altar of God where the people of God brought sacrifices to worship him and to do that. They're, like next to that is all this other stuff. And Josiah said, not, not on my watch, not today. And he cleans house, goes city to city cleaning house. <laughs> and we can read that in the Bible and we're like, oh my gosh, like God was so mean and so angry. But I need you to understand that this is not, this isolated story is not the whole story. See, when we zoom out, we can see that God had been telling them for years, trust me, obey me, follow me, do what I've commanded. Hey, if you don't, this is coming. They had chance and chance and chance and chance, and hearts got eviler and eviler and eviler and eviler. And so God gets to the point where he says, we will not do this any longer. And so we, we sometimes get pictures of God, like in the Old Testament, that he was mean. And it wasn't until Jesus that he found compassion and grace. But God has always been a God of mercy. He has always been a God of grace. And that is even evident in Josiah's story because God didn't look at Josiah and say, yo, I'm not talking to you. Go ahead and do what your daddies did because it's over. He actually said, no, but I've seen your heart and I've seen your response and you're going to reign in peace. And so what Josiah did is actually listed in our Christian history, the history of the church, however you want to look at it, as one of the greatest spiritual reformations to ever take place. And it started with a person who was in the position of a king that chose to obey God. And I'm going to tell you, it summarizes it in two chapters. 
The very end of that to say is not everything that the King Josiah did written in the annals of the king, basically telling you that everything is not captured in those chapters of what he actually did. But it lets us know that man, and up front, like about verse 3, it tells us of 22, that Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord and followed everything according to his father David. And we know David, right? And so we know that God was pleased with David, that David was a man after God's own heart, that God made a covenant with David. And that's the covenant that Josiah renewed with the Lord. And he walked that out all the days of his life. Now, unfortunately, if you continue to read the Kings, you find out somebody else takes the throne, somebody else, instead of following after David, Hezekiah, Josiah, they chose to follow after Manasseh and Amnon and those that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord kept his word. Judah ends up in captivity. And the city, the nation of Judah is destroyed. The temple is knocked down. But I want to tell you there's still hope. And, and so get that in Josiah's story. He discovers, he encounters God through his word. His heart responds, and then he gets to work. And I'm telling you, I promise you for the nation of Judah, that was probably the biggest breath of fresh air they could have ever experienced. 57 years of evil. Josiah's full reign was 31 years. So it means he reigned until he was roughly 39 years old. He died in battle. The Bible Chronicles Hour tells us that. But I'm sure there was peace and there was joy and there was a refreshing like, like none had ever known during the time of his reign. Some of them have not been alive when Hezekiah was king. So they didn't know what it was to experience joy and peace and forgiveness. And so that's just one story. We're going to fly over the second one super, super fast. Um, but it's the story of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, and I'm doing this when in contrast to Josiah, because Josiah was a king. He had influence. He had the power, the ability, everything to give the word. And so some of us are like, well, that's great, Sans. Like, you can tell me that, but I'm not the president. I'm not a congressman. I'm not the pastor of this church. Like, I can't do that. Well, that's okay, because this story is for you. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Judah, he's from Judah, he's a, he's a son of God. Um, they are now in captivity. So they're the slaves, so to speak. Like, that's what we would say. I've taken you captive, you're my slave. That, that's Nehemiah right now. Uh, he is serving as the cupbearer to the king. So not the king of Judah, because that, that's done. <laughs> to the king of the enemy, to the one who's put his people in captivity. So he's out doing his daily business, and he hears, he sees some friends, some people that he knew from Judah, and he's just asked, he's like, yo, like, how are those who've escaped captivity? How are those who have managed to either, they're on the outskirts or whatever, maybe they ran, but they're still in Jerusalem, they're still back in Judah. And he's like, yo, like, it's bad. <laughs> the city's destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, they have not been rebuilt, the people are just there. And Nehemiah, it's like he becomes distraught, like sad, heartbroken, like the city is gone. And it says that Nehemiah turns to the Lord and he begins to pray and he repents and he's like, God, I know that we're sorry and I know that we're in captivity because of our own actions. He said, but Lord, like I can't take, I can't take hearing that your city and that my people are in the position that they're in. He's a cupbearer, but he's talking to the Lord. And so he goes and he does his job serving the king 
which we would say the enemy, but he's serving him and he's doing it faithfully. And the king happens to see him and he's like, yo, like every day that you've served me, I've never seen you sad like this. He's like, and you're not sick. He's like, so what's going on? The king actually tells him, like, you're not sick. This must be sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah goes, yeah, my people, the place where I'm from, it's in ruins. And then the king does something that we would not expect the king to do. But he looks at Nehemiah and goes, so what do you want? And I love this because in in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah takes a minute and prays, and then he asks the king, would you allow me to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city? May I rebuild the walls? And the king says, sure. He says, how long do you need? (laughs) And Nehemiah, they come to an agreement on a length of time, and then he goes, hey, by the way, can I get some letters so that as I'm traveling (laughs) through these different provinces that I have permission that I would be protected as I go and that they know that I'm going with your authority? The king says, sure. And Nehemiah says something else. He says, um, and while we're at it, uh, can I get also a letter that gives the carpenters and the masonry, the people, like, permission to give me timber and the supplies that I'm going to (laughs) need to rebuild the walls? And the king says, sure. Nehemiah sets out on this journey, and we might be diving into this where we're going um, in the coming weeks, but Nehemiah sets out and completes the journey that he starts. He does not do it without opposition. He does not do it um, without having threats. Like, literally, he gets there, he surveys, he rallies the people, provides hope, they get to work, they start building, and there are enemies literally taunting them as they build. Like, yo, what are you doing? Are you rebuilding in the face of the king? Are you doing, like, they're talking to him like, like, who are you? And Nehemiah keeps working, and they keep building. And by the time you get to the end of Nehemiah chapter, chapter 6, what we see written is this, is that, and they finished rebuilding the walls, and they hung the gates. And I want to tell you with that, these couple things, is, and so we can go back to the slide, is that our encounters with God teach us about him. They compel or fuel our response When Nehemiah heard what was happening, he went to the Lord. He didn't ask the king off of a whim like, I mean, I guess I could rebuild. It was because he pressed into God and really prayed and really asked and really emptied his heart before him that he even had courage to ask the king, could I go back? Could I go do this assignment? He didn't go to the king and say, well, guess what, king? You're not the real king anyway. My God who reigns over the heavens and the earth said, he went respectfully, he went humbly, and he asked. But over the process, what you will see time and time again is Nehemiah will tell you, it's because of my God that I got to do this. It's because of God's grace that I'm able to rebuild. It's because of his grace that I can give these people hope. And that my people don't have to live in this shame or in the shadow of, the, of all that has been done in the past. See, and I told you we touch history a little bit, but when you know the history of the nation of Israel, then you can kind of understand. 
because they had some bad spots too. See, in the Bible, God didn't just give us his version. He didn't just give us the cleaned up, everything was perfect, everything was right. No, he tells us there was kings like Manasseh who reigned and they were evil in the sight of the Lord. And he tells us what they did. And he tells us how they built altars to false gods. He tells us how they worshiped things that their own hands created. And it's not to make us feel bad. It's not for us to wallow and be like, well, I'm not good enough. Yes, we get that realization and we get that picture when we encounter him. But more than that, it should give us hope that when we turn to him, when we respond to his work, See, when we come to church, it's great, and it is one of my favorite times of the week, but it is what we do when we leave that matters. If all we do is read the scripture and check off the box like, okay, yeah, I read that. Thanks, Jesus. We're going to end up in a world of hurt and pain. But if we really say, God, you know what? I don't, I don't know how to love my enemy. <laughs> the way you've commanded me to, but I heard the word today. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to get in your presence, and I'm going to wait for you to tell me how. And then when you do that, as I learn of him, as I seek him, as I spend time with him, he's going to compel us. He's going to persuade us. He's going to show us. We're going to see how. And our final thing is we should respond. We should get up. We should roll up our sleeves. We should take the chance. We should have the conversation. We should do, like, that's the thing. We get to work. We are citizens of heaven, but we live on earth. And although we can complain about brokenness, we can Facebook rant about all the brokenness, we can write letters, we can Netflix binge to avoid the brokenness, what we're called to do is repair. What God wants us to do is to work with him in the rebuild. To work with him with restoration. So that jumps us to Isaiah 58, and we're going to go to our big idea. Isaiah 58 says this, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And I could go person after person through scripture, and I can show you the same thing in their life. Moses encounters God, spends some time with him, gets strengthened up, and then God sends him to deliver the, the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. That's Exodus. <laughs> Paul encounters God on a road to Damascus, sits, learns of him, and then he writes letters and bursts the church as it's flourishing and growing in its early formative years as we know it. <laughs> Pick a person. Jesus Christ himself on earth encountered God through prayer. He encountered God through the word. And he responded. Oftentimes throughout the gospels we see Jesus being moved with compassion, healed the sick, opened blind eyes, performed this miracle. He went to work. He didn't sit back and say, I'm God. I know how this is going to end. He did the work all the way through his death on a cross. And so our big idea is this. I can be a little wordy, so sorry. Simplify as needed. <laughs> as followers of Christ, we are called to repair the breach. 
I grew up in church, I told you, everything in my mind is in New King James. So if you read Isaiah 58, 12, in the New King James Version, it will say we're repairers of the broken breach. <laughs> so you can put we're called to repair the walls or however you want to word it. Um, as followers of Christ, we are called to repair the breach. When we encounter God and learn of him, we can respond by not only seeing what is broken, but being empowered by his spirit to repair it and bring it back to wholeness. God's goal for us is that we would live our lives in wholeness. It's why he did what he did. He knew we couldn't do with it without Christ. So the worship team's coming, and you guys can start passing out communion. We're going to transition to that. But I want you to see as we encounter him, our hearts, our spirits should respond, and then we're empowered to do the work. See, Josiah didn't fully know at first it wasn't until he heard the book being read to him. Nehemiah didn't know. He didn't know that while he was serving the king, the king would even care enough to ask how he was doing. But when asked, he had an answer. He was able to respond out of his time spent with the Lord. And then they got to work. The king of Judah went to work. It's all his authority and all his power. He could have sat at the palace and said, you go do that, and you go do this, and you go do this, but he actually did the work. And Nehemiah rolled up his sleeves. He, he was comfortable. He was taken care of. But he knew his people weren't. And he went, and he did the work. They built the wall in the face of adversity, in the face of everybody saying that you can't, you shouldn't, that's never going to happen, that's not going to work, you're foolish, you're ignorant. He did the work. And for us today, we got to do the work. I'm grateful that you're here today to hear the word. And I hope that somewhere your heart is responding. And my encouragement is, don't walk out of here and go to lunch and be like, oh, that was great. <laughs> but that we could be committed together as a family to do the work. And that doesn't mean everyone does everything. But that does mean that as I stand here as the children's pastor, that I'm committed to seeking the heart of God and his face and getting his instruction for how at FCC we're going to train up children who can be Josiah's. See, Josiah is one of my favorite stories when it comes to ministering to kids because they didn't look at him and say, well, he's only eight years old, so we have to have somebody else be king until he's like 35. He was crowned king then. For those of you who are parents, one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to seek the Lord on their behalf now. What are they in the earth for? What is their purpose? And then I'm going to commit to training them up in the way that they should go. Well, how do I know which way they're to go? Not because of how I was raised. Not because of what I did. Not because of my experience. God, because you're showing me the way that they're going to go. And I'm going to equip them and I'm going to train them so that at 10 years old or at 15 years old or at 16 years old, they can stand and do the work. See? <laughs> and I, I could go on and on. There's other people in the scripture or the Bible that have various stories and that started at a young age. We even see Jesus at 12 years old in the temple. <laughs> Encountering his father, learning of his father, and sharing what he knows of his father with others. 
Like, we can discount them because they're young, but that's not our job. And so part of my call on the earth is to say, I see you, I know you, and we're going to do the work. We're going to give you the tools. I'm not just going to give you candy. We're going to give you scripture. <laughs> yes, we're going to have fun, and yes, we're going to play a game. And yeah, we might learn a little different. We might have slime and, and whipped cream pies, but the reality of life is, is that when they come here, it is my job that they would learn of who God is. It's our job as a team, as a staff here, is that when anybody enters these doors, they can encounter God for who he is. 